Hi, my name is Bertilla Damas, and you may remember me as Sakona on Deep Space Nine or Marika on Voyager. And you are listening to Trek Untold. Live long and prosper, people. Welcome to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. This week on Trek Untold, I had the pleasure of chatting with an actress and activist whose life might as well be worth making into a film as well. She has a unique story and is a powerhouse of a performer who has never been afraid to stand up for what she believes in. Today on Trek Untold, we're speaking with Bertilla Damas. Bertilla appeared twice in Star Trek history first in the second season of DS9 on the pair of episodes titled The Maquis. There, she played a Vulcan named Sakona, who was part of that rebellious Maquis group. Pertilla followed that up with her role on the sixth season episode of Star Trek Voyager titled Survival Instinct, which is one of my personal favorites of the Voyager series. She played the Borg drone there named Three of Five, who escaped the Collective to reclaim her identity as a Bajoran named Marika. It's a great episode, and I highly recommend you watch that one before you listen to this show. Beyond Star Trek, you've seen Bertilla in shows and films like High Incident, The John Larroquette Show, ER, NYPD Blue, Crossing Jordan, The Division, Dexter, The Nine, Grimm, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and a whole lot more, including one movie that is often regarded as one of the worst films ever made. No fault of Bertilla's, but there's a story about it, and we are going to hear all about nothing but trouble. Bertilla has a very interesting journey in life, one that is unlike the typical guest on this show. And those experiences are what make her such a refined performer and a great human being. So get ready to spend some quality time with a very memorable actress in the Star Trek universe and beyond, Bertilla Damas. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. 
If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com at Trek Untold and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining us on the other side of the screen, we've got Bertilla Damas. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I, I can't get rid of this thing, this icon that says, got it, and I'm trying to get rid of it, and it won't go away. Oh, is that the thing that says uh, you're aware of me recording? This meeting is being by the host or the participant. Are you recording this? Because I don't know if I agreed to that. <laughs> I think <laughs> I am. I'll have to double check that. <laughs> well, Bertilla, thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, you, you were part of some really awesome episodes of Star Trek, but you've got a lot of other really great stuff on your resume that I really look forward to chatting with you today about. Um, Thank but, you. Yeah. I'd like wow, to make my hands look. Look at this. Wow. <laughs> Go to the future of Zoom. Is it God? I mean, I don't want to bring politics into it, but wouldn't Trump be so jealous of how big my hands <laughs> look? Okay, just saying. <laughs> I mean, I don't see a lie, but that's totally fine. Totally fair. Um, so, Bertilla, you know, I'd love to know first things first here. I mean, yeah. were you a fan of Star Trek growing up? Like, do you have okay, an early memory so of the show? Totally, I was. Totally and completely because. Okay, so I know this is like very derogatory and I don't mean any offense. I got to get my huge hands out of the picture. Yes, I was actually a fan of Star Trek. And I'm giving away, I guess, my age. But all right. Uh, I was the original Star Trek because the original Star Trek is the Star Trek. And and let's just be clear about that. Okay. Uh, And absolutely. You know, I was I was in the biology club. Um, I was in the chemistry club. I was in the debate club. I was in the modern dance club and I was in the drama club. So look, you you know, that should tell you a lot about me, you know, and, and I do wear glasses and, you know, all my life, which I don't know. I mean, glasses seem to say things about people that people say about people that wear glasses, right? And and now I read an article recently about people that wear glasses that that was a sign of being dumb. And I was like, wow. Ouch. Like all my life, I grew up thinking that because I wore glasses, because I'm nearsighted, that that was a sign of being very smart. So I'm going with the with with that. I'm going with that. Well, I'm pretty sure the person who wrote that article probably doesn't wear glasses and they're just trying to take a fight. Exactly. Or or had an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend or non-binary they or them or right and that person wore glasses yeah so you know i'd like to hear a little bit about your background if you don't mind first too i read that you grew up in cuba which i don't think i've talked to any any folks who grew up there first so i'd love to hear a little bit about where you were born who your parents were and what they did and uh, what little bertilla wanted to be when she grew up okay well first of all i don't know who they are that are saying i grew up in cuba because Honestly, if I had grown up in Cuba, I wouldn't be speaking as if I were a New Yorker. <laughs> so, no, I did not grow up in Cuba, but I was IMDb for screwing that one up. Um, actually, IMDb. Yeah, I don't know, because people write things like now I have like several people editing that bio, which I think is kind of wonderful, actually. It's nice. Uh, but no, no, no. I um, was born in Cuba. And my mom took us out of Cuba and moved us to Brooklyn because that's where her relatives lived. Because my mother is Puerto Rican American and my dad is Cuban American. And I was born in Cuba. 
but I wasn't raised in Cuba. I wasn't. Um, and I'm super happy about that. I, I am at my beloved mom. May she rest in peace. I lost her two years ago. Listen, what my mom did as a young woman, she was like 21 with three kids. Uh, she uh, was an American and she found herself in the middle of the Cuban revolution. And she said, you know, when the peaches went up to 99 cents a can, because I happened to like those sweet syrupy canned peaches when I was a kid. She said, I'm out of here. I've got to feed my children. And she was also dismayed by the enormous amount of people in the plaza, you know, just praising this man who later tells us all that he's a Leninist, much like today. So, no, I wasn't. I was actually raised, I'll tell you, I got here when I was around four. And um, it was interesting. I came out with my grandma, my mommy, my daddy stayed. And uh, so I was raised. So my, the first place I ever lived, and I'm very proud of it, is Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, on Flatbush Avenue. Hello. So I mean, Brooklyn is, Queens may be bigger. Brooklyn is better. Hello. Uh, <laughs> well, my mommy's from Queens. So excuse me, because she's, well, borderline, right? Because my mom is from Far Rockaway, ah. which is... Some of Far Rockway is technically Queens, and some I think Far Rockway East is technically or what you know East is technically Long Island, right? Yeah. So yes, so the first place I lived was Brooklyn, and then, you know, just to help the accent along, we moved to Long Island, <laughs> and I lived in Long Beach, and it was great. I lived right. Okay, so this is amazing. I lived like three blocks. From Emile Francis, who was the coach of the Rangers. Okay. Hello, the New York Rangers. Because all the Rangers lived in the neighborhood and they used to go to a bar on Lido Beach. And that goes on into another story. But there you have it. So no. And then, wait, wait, wait. Okay, so let me finish. So then we moved to Florida when I was uh, around 11. And... uh, I had been there one year before uh, when I was like in the fourth grade, but we went back to New York and then I came back when I was 11. And I swear to you, Ma, I told her the minute we moved to Florida and I went to school, I was like, okay, as soon as I grow up, I'm going back to New York. And that's that. And that's exactly what I did. Now, when did you get bit by the acting bug? Were you always (laughs) interested in performing? Always and forever. Yeah, since I was um, a little girl. Well, first, uh, there's this story that my family tells because I was very chatty very early on in life. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. This was supposed to be like about Star Trek. Okay, anyway. I was <laughs> what they <very> all say. <laughs> I was very chatty early on in life. And there's a story about how when I was like two, I said to my parents that I wanted to be a ballerina. So... Obviously, there was something about performing, something about being creative early on. And uh, and then, um, geez, I mean, it went right into elementary school. I started writing plays, and I had my first play produced in the sixth grade about baseball. Because, you know, there's a, a big baseball kind of fanaticism in the Caribbean. And, you know, so I wasn't exempt from listening to all of that as a child. And so my first play was about baseball. 
And, you know, then I went into the drama club and I won a lot of awards in junior high uh, with the debate team doing dramatic interpretation uh, up against high schools because we were the first junior high school to compete in the forensics league. Okay, so you get why I liked Star Trek right away, right? <laughs> okay, because I consider that Star Trek was for the smarty pants. Star Trek, you know, people like to call us nerds or whatever, geeks. And I don't take offense, but I think we were the smarty people. We were the smarty pants. We were the people that read. And I don't care what anybody says. Reading makes you better and smarter, period. Of course, nowadays, it kind of depends what you read, but... In any case, and in most cases. So, so yeah. And junior high, I won a bunch of awards up against high schools. I mean, I was third in the nation up against high school students for my dramatic inter- interpretation of Our Town. Thornton Wilder. Yep. Yeah. Just, I mean, I don't know. This is probably really boring. I mean, like. This is, all, this is the journey here that we're taking with you because we're, we're trying to learn basically, you know, all these things about you're you. You're really, really inquisitive, aren't you, Matthew? I, I am. I got I to gotta dig deep here. That's what we do on this show. And you. Uh, I, you know, at first I was like, I really don't want to do this. And then I was like, now I'm like, okay, I kind of like this guy. I'll let him know some stuff. <laughs> well, I'm going to see now. I got, I, got, I got something else that I, I read in IMDb. I don't know if it's true or not. So you can tell me if it is or isn't, but... I read that you simultaneously studied acting with Lee Strasberg and Stella Adler. Is that true? Did. Wow. Okay. Talk to me about that. Okay. So I was actually attending the circle in the square Mm -hmm. is um, a conservatory for acting. uh, And I had a teacher there, Terry Hayden, you know, she passed a couple of years ago. Really amazing. I used to call her Yoda. So, she liked my work and she took me to observe at the actor's studio. So I would observe at the actor's studio on Tuesdays and uh, Fridays at noon. And then uh, at the actor's studio, I met this lovely woman, Dina Janice. She's now an acting teacher, drama teacher in Vermont. Um, lovely person. She worked in a couple of movies with Milos Foreman, really delightful human being. And Randy Rocca, another wonderful person. And then I, and David Weisberg and my future acting teacher while I was hanging out as an observer at the actor's studio. And um, it was really a lovely experience. So then these people said, well, you've got to go study script analysis with Stella Adler. So I went to do that. And then I joined her advanced scene study class. And uh, Stella Adler was quite a character. Uh, so was Lee Strasberg, to say the least. Um, but Stella, I remember I was in her class and I was so frightened of her because every time anybody got up, especially the women, she was like, ah, ah, you know, why are you even acting? I mean, she demolished them. And one day I was sitting in the hall. There was this funny little staircase right before the entrance to our classroom. And I'm sitting in this little staircase and she comes by, you know, you know, Madam Adler. And, uh, she looked down at me and she goes, you're in my class. Because she was very affected and she was very clear about her affectation. And she turned to me and she said, I've not seen you work. And I just looked it up at her. I said, because I'm so freaking scared of you. <laughs> and she said, if you don't work for me in the next week, I'll think about you in my class. And I was like, huh, I am messed up here. This is really bad. So I, uh, I put together a scene from the Rose Tattoo and you know what? She loved me. 
So I got really lucky, I think. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she was really great. And Lee Strasberg was also wonderful because I got to do something, a scene from Ghost, uh, because Lee Strasberg's studio had a director's lab. And, and then they had the Institute, which is where they had their students. And uh, so I never auditioned for the studio because everybody I auditioned with would bag on my, you know, I invited them to audition and they would bag on it. And so I never got that. But but I heard from Joanne Woodward that an audition for the actor's studio and a token got you to Brooklyn. And I was like, well, I already lived there. So uh, so I uh, I did join the Stella Adler advanced scene study class and her script analysis, which honestly, Lee Strasberg at the studio, I didn't get script analysis and her class was amazing. And Lee Strasberg, look, I watched Lee Strasberg once criticize an actress because, you know, we did these private moments and you want to bring up your emotional life so that you can connect in a moment to moment way with the people you're reading. Cause basically it's you reading it, right? Except there's, something in you you tap right so this actress is like parading across the stage and i really wish i could tell you her name because she's kind of famous now anyway as you're parading across the stage and lisa rossbury just looked at her and said darling do you know the lines and i was like well and and he goes you know darling if you don't know the lines running to central park and back you really don't have much here right what are you crying about? It was so fabulous. And I learned so much from that moment. You know, I learned what indulgence and self-indulgence as an actor was. And that that's not what we do. That is not what we do. You know, we're not out there just to parade ourselves. In yeah. fact, it's quite the opposite. I mean, both those schools are, are very much naturalist, I feel like, when it comes to acting and very much internal and getting the internal out. I mean, that's acting in general, but more so right. for their school. Like, they're very much deep into that kind of world. And... uh but Stella, Stella taught you the other side because, you know, Stanislavski wrote two books, An Actor Prepares and Building a Character. Yeah. And it was like, you know, when you went to see Lee Strasberg, you were learning about an actor prepares and the inner life of the character. And when you went to study with Stella Adler, you were learning about building the character from the outside in. So you really so, got the best of both worlds there. Those were good days. They really were. And I'm curious, you know, what are some lessons? Let's just pick... What's the most valuable lesson you learned during that time period that you continue to use throughout your entire career? Listening. Probably the greatest le lesson I've learned in life, actually, is to listen and go from there. You know, I mean, you know, when you're working on something, it's just much more important what the other person is saying to you because that's going to determine what you're going to say and react to. So it's listening. Listening is the greatest thing I've learned from acting and in life is just listen. I did some reading again, as I mentioned, did some homework here. Uh, I read that you had done a performance, uh, I think in New York with Robert Beltran from Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. And uh, I'd love to hear uh, what's, what's the story behind that. Wow. That just touched my heart big time. So Robert Beltran and I are friends. I haven't seen him in a long time since I was at a Star Trek convention a few years back. And it was the first time I'd seen Robert in a long time. Robert Beltran 
was my friend for many years and holds a very dear place in my heart. And in fact, I'm going to tell you a story. I wonder if Robert remembers or he'll like say I'm crazy. But when Robert was auditioning for his role as Chakotay, he came to my house. He wanted to know what platinum was. (laughs) And of course, I knew because I was a Star Trek fan. So, but besides that, Robert Beltran is a dear friend of mine. And even though we haven't seen each other in a little while, I consider him a very important person in my life. Um, so, gosh, you know, I was so moved just now. I can't remember what you asked me about him, but. Oh, well, uh, that's a great reaction to have, though. I mean, I was asking, um, you know, I had read that you guys did uh, a show together in New York. And I wanted to ask what that show was about and what right. the show was. Okay. And- so, the show, so this is another amazing thing because, okay, so we did this show. It wasn't in New York. Okay. okay. IMDb has lied to me again. Uh, who, yes. Well, I, I don't know if that's on. Well, yeah. IMDb. Either Wiki or IMDb. IMDb. The place where actors give them free advertising as they use. <laughs> all of our information and then make us pay to use their site. I just want to say there's something really wrong about that. They're making money on giving away, you know, our career information. And a lot of it is inaccurate and a lot of it is incomplete. They've certainly done more than what's on the IMDb. Yeah. And, uh well, that's why I do these interviews to really get, you know, get yeah. the actual story. Make sure we don't, so, you know. Okay. So, Robert, no, no. What we did was a play here in California, and it was wonderful. I, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm forgetting the name of the ca- acting company that we did this for. Um, it was started by Tony Plana, who I worked with on Deep Space Nine. And uh, it, 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 it was a USC space that we used at the University of Southern California, a little theater space there. It was great. And Robert and I did an interpretation or an adaptation of Eugene O'Neill's A Touch of the Poet. And what we did is we took A Touch of the Poet and incorporated or transposed it into the Mexican Revolution Hmm. and justify the the characters that way. And it was actually really wonderful. We got great reviews. My God. They, they, they applauded the chemistry between myself and Robert Beltran, which in acting is really good. He and I, when we work together, wow. And I just hope we get to work together again. Uh, So, so we did this play and I, wow. They compared me to Helen Hayes. I was like, wow, these people, so it was an extraordinary experience, but it wasn't in New York. It was here. And um, honestly, one of the best characters I've ever played is Nora in The Touch of the Poet, uh, in A Touch of the Poet, sorry, by Eugene O'Neill. You know, and a lot of the company members, his original company members, the women didn't want to play that part because they all thought they were going to be looked on as old. And I immediately, not being in the company, Tony Plana said, do you want to do this? And I said, Absolutely. Absolutely. And wow, it was just one of my favorite, favorite character interpretations. And one of my favorite people to work with is Robert Beltran. And, you know, please tag him on this on Twitter. He does respond on Twitter, you know, because really... I totally will. And, uh, you know, I know you, you came here expecting to talk only Star Trek, but I got to pick your brain about something else here because 
one of the other topics I talk about all the time on this podcast is the Golden Girls. And you were on the Golden Palace. You were in the spinoff series, which I've never talked to anybody who's done the spinoff. So right away, this is exciting for me. It was um, so great. Yeah, I mean, not only that, you're in the episode that has B. Arthur showing up. You're working yeah. with Cheech Marin, side by side with Cheech Marin. Uh, Don Cheadle's there too, of course, doing stuff. Yeah, you got, I mean, I just watched the episode on Hulu. You got to tell me about working on the Golden Palace. Well, okay, so this is so great that you asked that question because, oh, gosh, I remember. Okay, so the day that I'm running to the first table reading, the first day of rehearsal. Oh God, you know, women in their hair for um, Golden Girls. I almost got a ticket. So I, I I made an illegal right turn, which right turns in California are legal. But for, I didn't see the sign and I was just so rushing to get there. And I make this illegal right turn and the cop finally catches me and stops me right at the entrance to the gate for the stage reading. And I just turned him and I said, no, 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 you mustn't do this. I'm going to work with the Golden Girls. Are you nuts? And he's like really and i go yeah really he goes oh forget it forget it it's just a warning don't do that again you know there's a no right turn there and i was like thank you and i went in and it was just i mean i mean b arthur what a presence what weight that woman had you know she was just so truthful so whatever she said is just like whoa you know you're just left like yes that's true what shall i say uh and this you know in the reading because my scenes were were with chich marin and uh, and I have to tell you, I have worked with Cheech again and just recently. And I can't tell you what it is because we signed these weird. Lousy NDAs. I'm not even sure they're actually legal. And in fact, the union has told us that they're not. But I want to respect their 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 mystery, you know, thing they want to keep around their television show. I want to respect that. But I will tell you that coming soon. I will now not be Cheech's fake girlfriend. You know, in that episode, <laughs> Cheech the show, said, yep. yeah, I leave him because I just wanted to make my boyfriend Chewy jealous with Cheech. And I don't think Cheech is so disappointed about it in that episode. I think he's kind of like, okay, good. And, uh, but this time I marry Cheech Ooh. and I'm married for a while. So, it's lovely. And I have to tell you that Cheech Marin is a beautiful human being. And he's just opened this amazing museum in Riverside where uh, they took portion of the Riverside Library and put in his art collection on Chicano art. And, and that's just, I think it's wonderful that he did that. I think it's a tremendous uh, educational tool. And so it's, it's, I, I am in great admiration of Mr. Cheech Marin. Yeah, I just want to ask you also about one other thing before we jump into our Trek talk here, because I saw okay. that you did a film with John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, and Chevy Chase. Nothing yeah. but trouble. Uh, yeah. That's quite a cast to be working with. Uh, I'd love to hear what you remember from your time on that set. Okay, so my memories are fabulous, although I think we are historically in the film world one of the worst films ever. <laughs> However, recently, we're having some, um, I don't know what to call it, maybe maybe justice, maybe redemption. It's a renaissance for nothing but trouble. Yeah, I, there is like a little bit of a renaissance. I've had in, interviews and reboots of it, and I'm still collecting residuals on it. Because what happened with nothing of trouble, uh, nothing for trouble, uh, uh, was kind of a cult following that began to develop. 
But, you know, I have to tell you, it was a blast. I mean, seriously, I was working with John Candy. Oh, God, what a beautiful person. And Demi Moore, another lovely human being, Taylor Negron, my friend, my friend until his passing. Um, gosh, I think it's four years now. Yeah, the year before he passed, we spent Easter together. Taylor Negron was a tremendous human being, Valerie Bronfield, and Chevy. Chevy's an interesting sort. And I have to tell you that I know what people say about Chevy, and there's whatever. People can say whatever they want about Chevy. But I'm a very straightforward and direct person. So when I met Chevy, he said some things to me that were, I thought, comical. And I gave my um, theatrical retort. Uh, to which the crew laughed out loud. And I think from that moment on, Chevy took a liking to me. And uh, he had an amazing makeup artist. And he really made sure that I was absolutely taken care of. And and we would have very inappropriate, politically incorrect banter in the uh, trailer. And I think that's why he liked me. uh, Because I've... uh, I'm not saying something's right or wrong. I want people to understand this. I have a very broad sense of humor and I also uh, am resilient. So I think sometimes one has to really choose what you're going to come back at with humor and what you are not going to uh, put up with. And I never found that moment with Chevy. I always found the moment of humor. So I worked with some fabulous people and Dan Aykroyd. Wow. Just the loveliest human being and his brother, because I'm on the soundtrack. So Peter, his brother did the soundtrack and he called me in one day and said, listen, this isn't working. What do we do? And so I got up in front of a microphone and basically screamed, you know, you know, it was so much fun. So we had a lot of fun. It's a strange movie for many people. Um, And now, like I said, you know, and ever actually ever since, because I would have kids, I'd pull up in my car at a red light in Las Feliz and I'd have kids through the window going, Rinalda, that's Rinalda, you know, and I had people invite me to their homes for like pool parties, you wow. know, which was, which was bizarre. Uh, but just the same, it was something really interesting. And I, I had a lot of those invitations, which I always declined. And then I was dating somebody at that time who got invited to one of these Ronaldo pool parties. And he said, like, I'm bringing Ronaldo. And I had no idea. So when I got there, it was like, whoa, it's a good thing I wore my best bathing suit. Because this was just wonderful. Just this tremendous laughter and humor and, you know, love of this movie and the offbeat craziness of it. I mean, come on, the babies were great. I'm sorry. (laughs) That just sounds like such an L.A. thing. Like, oh, yeah, we're having a Ronaldo pool party. Invite the kids. Bring them over. It was pretty funny. I wish I could have told Dan that. I, You know, last time I saw him, he was he was so lovely and concerned about what I was doing and where I was working. And I forgot to tell him about the Ronaldo pool parties. Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D-printed Star Trek and sci-fi-inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, 
or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the US, with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions where something is only impossible until it happens. Hey, I'm Licia Nav, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG, and now Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about drivebydogooders.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skid Row and from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks, tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein and a way to clean themselves, especially during Corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. We do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's 100% tax deductible. And if you click on the donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lord X or... Total Recall, where I played the three-breasted mutant hooker on Mars, and uh, that's the X-rated version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write, and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's drivebydogooders.org. Ensign, I mean, Captain Sonia Gomez, signing off. Well, let's beam into our Star Trek discussion right now, because we had some really interesting episodes to talk about here, and they're pretty deep, complex episodes. And uh, we kick things off here with your two-parter. In the second season of DS9, the Maquis. That was great. Yeah, and you are playing a Vulcan in this episode here. So first things first, let's talk about the audition process. Let me be clear. Yeah. That playing a Vulcan in a lead role and pivotal in two episodes is a really big deal in Star Trek lore. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree with you on that one. I mean, it's pretty epic. I mean, yeah, what was it like to, uh, you know, first off, Beginning of the story here, how did you get cast for this role? Do you remember what the audition was like? Oh my gosh, yeah, it was great. So <laughs> it was uh, a really interesting audition process. First of all, Ron Serma, I, I knew, I loved, amazing casting director. So the audition process was really interesting. And it came in at a really good time in my life because things were really strange. So 
I get this call and I go in for Ron Serma, who I love. And I'm auditioning for Ronald Moore and uh, and the casting uh, department, uh, Ron and his assistant. So great, terrific. And back in those days, instead of self-tapes, you know, we would go in sometimes directly to producers, which this was directly to producers. Or sometimes you would go in and screen with the casting director. And then if they liked you, they sent you to producers like that. So I went to producers. I met Ron Moore. And um, I uh, get a call back. And um, it's between me and this other really sweet girl. And we go in. And, you know, honestly, I was a Star Trek fan. There was nobody who could do Spock better. Leonard Nimoy was like inside me. And I had met Leonard Nimoy as a reader for a friend who wrote a movie he directed. I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, so I we go back and we do our auditions, this lovely girl and myself, and we go back and we sit outside, sort of like the Miss Universe pageant or Miss America, and you're sitting there and you don't really expect anybody to come up to you and say anything because they're going to tell you later. So you just expect them to say, thank you, good, bye, you know, good afternoon. So Rod Zerber comes out and he goes, and... It's you, Bertilla. And I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. So I'm like, thank you, thank you. And at the same time, the girl next to me is breaking down in tears. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, you know, I kind of put my hands around her and I was like, really, really sorry. And so it was a very interesting moment. And that's how I booked it. And uh, that is a very Miss America moment. <laughs> It was so Miss America. I was like, oh my God, this is so bad. And the first runner up is you. <laughs> and I was like, so apologetic, but I was so happy for it because gosh, honestly, I was a Star Trek fan. So I was like, super glad. I was like, oh my God, I'm playing Vulcan. This is iconic. This is history. And, uh, and I think it was. And so, uh, and that, that, that's how I got cast. Hmm. Um, and do you want to know about what it was like? I, I absolutely do. And I got to ask you too, you know, being a Trekkie, you're getting the makeup chair now. You're getting the Vulcan years put on you. So just what's that first moment like for you? You know, I should have brought out my Vulcan ears for you because I still have them. Oh, you have them. Oh, <laughs> I have them. I put them up on eBay once. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to get rid of things and uh, nothing. And they were Michael Westmore ears that he gave me at the end uh and so makeup was a very early call uh but for for this one it was fairly easy because it was mostly the ears and then they just painted my skin kind of this yellowish kind of light greenish thing and the eyebrows they did this thing where they they made my eyebrows and uh so i still have my ears michael westmore and his entire family So, yeah, I mean, this is a two-parter here. You've got a lot of cool stuff. you got a lot of really fun scenes, including a dinner scene with Armin Shimmerman. Uh, okay. You also get to work alongside Tony Plano, as we mentioned, as well. So, yeah, just general oh. memories of who you worked with and uh, just your time on the set, because what a set it was, too. Oh, wow. I love them both, uh, both Armin and Tony. And I just recently worked with Tony again, which is really great. It's a movie that's coming out next year. It's it's actually a short film um Directed by Danny Pino, who's a big Law and Order cold case, Mayans, wonderful human being too. And uh, 
we're all born in Cuba or Cuban and it's a movie about that. And it comes out, um, I think either end of this year or next year, short film. And I worked with Tony on it. Well, working with Armin was wonderful because Armin is a great aficionado of Shakespeare. Yes. And so am I, I'm, I'm not Armin. Just to be clear, I am not Armin, nor am I my husband, who's another incredible aficionado who they really know the text and the literature of Shakespeare. Uh, I know some of it and I love it. And I had worked on Romeo and Juliet for Joseph Pep on Broadway many, many years ago. So I was really excited. I played Juliet to, to find out that Armin was this wonderful fan of Shakespeare. So we started doing these, uh, We'd do excerpts of Shakespeare. He'd do something, I'd do something, and we were like going back and forth as we were doing our dinner scene, which is just a wonderful scene. It's wonderful. And because uh, Armin is a beautiful actor. And at one point, David Livingston just turned to us and said, please stop, stop. You drive me crazy. And I was like, okay, well, all right, whatever. So we stopped, but it was a wonderful experience. And then, you know, uh, as we move on and um, we were interviewing um, Gold Ducat, mm-hmm. right? Mark Alamo, I think. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, um, you know, that was very, very kind of intense because I had to do this Vulcan mind meld that I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I was going to actually <laughs> ask you, did they teach you how to do a Vulcan mind meld? Is there like an official technique for it? There, There's definitely in a finger, you know, you have to put the fingers it, the right fingers in the right place. Yes. So that was really, really cool. And then, of course, you know, she gets whacked. Uh, yeah. I love that moment, by the way. Like, just rewatching it, I didn't remember that. And I'm like, he went for it. Like, oh, the cod, he's a jerk. He just, like, knocks you out. Total jerk. But in real life, very sweet man. <laughs> very sweet man. And uh, so um, so I do kind of like a fake thing, you know, uh, oh, but then I had this wonderful stunt woman and we want to always acknowledge the stunt people in our world because they make such a tremendous difference, especially today. I mean, you watch those blockbusters and it's like, poof, stunts galore. So uh, she was lovely and she got hit. <laughs> and But I eventually do the fall and then there's that me getting up, you know, so that was a lot of fun. I, I, I mean, truly, it was just wonderful. Uh, what can I say? My, I especially loved working with Armin because the dinner scene is great. That that is a lot of fun. Yeah, you yeah. She's there for arms, and he's like, "You want to have more?" And I'm like, uh, "Just give me the weapons, dude." <laughs> I mean, this is pre-Marquis. We need these weapons. <laughs> so it's kind of great to see a Vulcan sort of slide out of the logical mode. Yeah, and go into this. Well, I, I think for her, it was perfectly logical, but there you have it. I mean, what's it like for you as an actress to look at a role like a Vulcan, who are typically characters who don't outwardly show emotion? How do you deal with that kind of a character? How do you still emote without being able to emote? Well, that's so funny. Um, you know, it's a cute question. I, um, I don't think I think about things that way. So what was, what was your take on Sakona then and how to approach her? Well, I don't think like uh, that you have to like act no emotion. Um, I think you can just make a choice uh, to be a particular way about something. And I don't know that that I know that Vulcans, you know, they're non-emotional and logical. But 
I don't think that that has to be interpreted as non-emotional and logical because I don't think those characters are just thinking only of themselves that way. So Sakona is responding the way Sakona responds. And, you know, I guess within the Vulcan ethic, if, if I just want to negate everything I just said, um, I guess uh, <laughs> there's not a lot to act, right? There's, there's just being this Vulcan and then listening from the Vulcan point of view, right? Because a, a Vulcan will listen a particular way and then react a particular way. And we say it's non-emotional and we say all these things about Vulcans, but I don't know. Hmm. So I just responded the way I thought a Vulcan would respond. You know, we mentioned Tony Plano before, and, uh, you know, we know his roots as well in theater. And we mentioned Robert Beltran earlier, too, and uh, the role that you did with him on stage. And I'm wondering, you know, we're talking about the Maquis in this episode. These are a bunch of revolutionaries. Yeah, we are. And you've got a bunch of, you know, Latin actors playing these characters here in this particular episode. I'm like, did you feel any special connection or any kind of roots to these characters because of your own background? You know, actually, that's the first time I ever heard it said like that. Like, we had all these revolutionary pre-Marquis characters in Deep Space Nine that were Hispanic, which was Tony and myself. I think there was one other character. Anyway, there was someone else. I don't remember the name, unfortunately. There was. There was was someone else. Yeah. I think they were in the mind meld scene. Anyway. Yeah. You know what? That is actually the first time that I realized that the writers did that. That's pretty stupid of me. Hmm. Wow. Huh? Smarty pants, my butt. Right. Uh, Okay. So I don't have anything good to say about that. I mean, what is that? Is that derogatory? I never looked at it that way. Um, Because now I'm like, what is, is it only happening in our countries? But I love that you brought that to my awareness, Matthew. And I think it's really interesting. I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe they were thinking the Cuban revolution. I really don't know. Because that totally did not work out. Yeah. (laughs) Did not work out. Yeah. And the monkey end up, you know, endlessly roaming space. All right, so Bertil, let's jump into your second episode of Star Trek. And this one's on Voyager. This is season six, the episode Survival Instinct. And you are three of nine, a Borg drone, also Marika. Uh, this is a great episode, I gotta tell you. Like, this is uh, one of the episodes that I really love of Voyager. Like, honestly, it is. And uh, it's great a cool it. episode. Yeah, so you're a Bajoran, you're a Borg. Let's talk about the makeup, because there's a lot going on here. So that Borg yeah, makeup must have been was. tough. Oh, wow, the Borg makeup. Honestly, you know, um, we got to the set the first day early in the morning around 3.30 and they're already telling you less than an hour later that you will be returning the next day at 3.30. So uh, the first makeup took, I don't know, six, seven hours. Wow. Eight maybe. And then after all the molds, you know, because they, um, they have a particular eye piece that's going to go on you as a Borg. Uh, and then there's the skull cap and then there's the veining of the skull cap and, and the other attachments. And she also had body attachments. So um, there was that. I mean, it looked like you couldn't even move your head that much in that. In that no, no, I gotta tell you, you know, because you know, the Borg eye thing, right does not have a hole in it to see through. So Jerry Ryan and I were running around the set. Like I was on her, I guess, left side and she was on my right side and we're walking around holding hands. Like, where's that hill? 
What do we do? Step, step. Because we can only see out of one eye, <laughs> you know? And it was really charming. Uh, and then they they made Jerry this amazing custom costume. It was a quarter of an inch thick, like just gorgeous. I mean, Jerry Ryan, let's just say hello. And, you know, uh, a beautifully statuesque woman. And um, and I kind of looked like Helga from Kosovo. No offense to Kosovo or any Helga. It's just that they gave me a costume from one of the Borg movies, uh, uh, one of the Star Trek Borg movies, that was this thick. <laughs> Literally added an inch and a half all around. And uh, I had a wick suit underneath because they wanted to, you know, keep us, our perspiration, you know, absorbed in these wick, wick suits because you're wearing, I was wearing rubber, okay? This thick. And uh, so what happened is I'm I'm on the set a little while and I go over to the, to the oh, my dog, he's having dreams. And I go over to the, uh, to the costumer and I go, wow, look at what my hands are doing. They were like swelling and turning blue. And he, you know, he turned me around, he took the zipper off the rubber suit and then just split the wick suit in half because the wick suit underneath was so tight that I was, you know, losing my circulation. <laughs> and so that was really fun. But I tell you, the set for that was extraordinary. It was beautiful. And, you know, now, you know, you know, Nine's backstory. And how she basically betrayed us, dumped us on this planet. You know, we were trying to disconnect. She basically told the Borg on us and then as disconnected herself from us and connected all of us together for eternity and therefore wherever and forever. And we were screwed. But we found her. Yeah, we went back for our retribution i guess you know yeah. like how could you do that to us and then my character so in the books my character goes on to marry um the engineer oh wow i've got his name and he's a lovely person i've met him many times in the books she stays on for another month because she eventually dies from this issue it's a really great episode it's such a tragic episode, and I think, you know, I, I want to just compliment you now on one of the things that you did in this episode here, because it's really the last scene I want to talk to you about, um, mm. which it's very emotional with all of the former drones are now unlinked from each other, and they're now going their separate ways, and they're going off to die. Oh, and, yeah. like, your scene kills me. Like, you know, bad choice of words, but, like, your scene, it just messes me up so much. Like, it's such a rough episode, and then your final line, especially, you're like, you know, I can't forgive you, but I can understand why you did it. Exactly. Like, like, I'm crying. You're crying. I got to know. Was it, Were those any real tears on you? Oh, or no, was... real, of course. I mean, really, you know, yeah. I mean, there's that moment where, when, you know, these women are confronting each other and she, she totally messed us up. Hmm. But I understand because who wouldn't want to escape the board? Thing is, why did we have to pay for it? Right. Like we wanted to escape too. And we were coming to that realization on that planet and you shut it down. You messed with us and, 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 you know, brought the Borg on us. We had to eventually escaped that. There's no episode about that. And so now we found you, 
We found you in the hopes that we'll be able to disconnect ourselves and live our lives and we're going to die. Terrific. So I don't think you have to really think too hard to do that scene. You know, that's clear. It's, you know, and I, and I think it was a very um, grown up way for the characters to handle the problem and for, uh, and for Marika to tell her like, you know, I, I get it. Hmm. I, I just, I don't have to forgive you for it. I understand it. Got it. I mean, it's a beautiful scene and you did it so wonderfully. I mean, it's really mm-hmm. expertly done there. So, uh, you know, just wanted to compliment you for that performance. That was really great. Great. It's, like I said, it's, I think it's one of my top 10 of all time in Voyager. So, and, oh, wow. That's that huge. ending is a big part of it. So, yeah. That's huge. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you. Know. Thank you. I want to say thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. No, you know, because. I love that you said that because I always think that, you know, the people that have worked on on Star Trek from the original through Voyager through and Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I think. And, and look, I don't know the new Star Trek. So I'm a bit I'm a bit of a snob. So, you know, OK, great actors there, too. But the casting of these projects, uh, most of us were uh oh wow my guest is stinging so so i have a guest coming at 7 30 so anyway most of us are really accomplished trained actors you know you don't just start you know you know jiving and 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 improvising on shakespeare without people who aren't trained and have read and love the craft right i mean you can be all that all of not of that and love the craft, but in my world, you know, Star Trek hired people that loved the craft. And so you had a lot of very, uh, very well-trained, wonderful actors on those series. And so it was a pleasure. Now, did you watch yourself on those episodes when they first aired? Did you get all your, your Trekkie friends together and check them out? No. Aw. <laughs> No, I, you know, look, I'm, I'm not that person. I mean, I, I used to kind of write on Facebook a little bit about what I was doing, but I stopped last year. I was like, okay, people, this is hard for me. And I think I have 12 posts up on Instagram. I, I posted something recently because I'm doing a reading with Danny Pino and Jason Canella, who's an up and coming star really. And Diane Garriga, really cool people. Uh, Isaac, Rossi, Matt Kelly. Uh, And so I decided to post it because it was a theater experience and it's something I don't get to have as often these days. So I really want my friends to come and, you know, um, so I, I posted that, but I'm not that person. I'm don't have filters on my phone. I don't do any of that. I, uh, I don't know what to say about any of that. I really don't. I do do uh complain and moan on twitter yeah i do i do well, i mean things- to be fair that's what twitter is there for yeah right and uh i try not to be mean i may have been mean in the past but i try not to be and yeah that's that's it i i yeah <laughs> that's just me i'm very private actually so that you got me to say things like publicly about my life growing up and other things is pretty amazing because I don't do that. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that information. I mean, I appreciate that too. Thank you. Uh, 
That's so, Bertilla, as we come to a wrap on this interview here, I just want to lightning round you real quick with a few things here. So, oh, wow, okay. Let's kick things off here with best gig you ever had and the worst gig you ever had, and preferably something that won't get you fired. Well, best gig I ever had, really, um, is in the theater. And it's a kind of even tie between A Touch of the Poet and Romeo and Juliet, where I played Juliet. Two very favorite, favorite things. Another little favorite because of the experience is the film Lucky with um, uh, with Harry Dean Stanton because he's just such a lovely human being. I had so much fun. So I have a lot of favorites, but I'll just give you those. And not favorite. Okay, recently, I won't name the show. I'll just say it was in Chicago. Bad experience. And I was vindicated because another amazing actress I just recently worked with, also with Cheech Marin, uh, on the same TV show, had the same experience. Yeah. Although I love Chicago. Great city. Wow. Great food. And can I just say thank you for the fact that we mentioned Cheech's name so much in this interview because I love him. So that's so cool you've gotten to work with him so much in your career. Um, yeah, you're welcome. I love Cheech. How about a moment from your performing career that was the most challenging for you that became the most rewarding? Okay. I've just got to go with the same thing. Because, I mean, I've done a lot of movies and TV and, you know, soap operas and whatever, but really nothing is more challenging than the theater. And the most challenging thing I ever was gift given in the theater was the role of Juliet. Shakespeare is tremendously difficult language. And so it was great disappointment on some nights and wonderful, amazing inspiration on other nights. So that's probably the most challenging and also the touch of the poet. It was a, just an amazing experience. These were roles that really made you think and, 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 and made me, you know, do the work I, I knew and I was trained to do. So it was really great. How about most valuable piece of advice that someone ever gave you, whether it be about acting or about life? Listen more, talk less. That's a good piece. I'll go with that. Yeah. And last really? thing, last thing for today, Bertilla, what's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? This! <laughs> Stuff like this. Like, people call me out of the blue to talk about a wonderful experience I have, and I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, the conventions. But really, I find that Star Trek... Um, okay, so since I'm an observer of Star Trek from way back, uh, from the original, Star Trek presents our universe in a very particular way and so metaphorically it has so much to teach us about how uh how the different groups react act in in this universe the star trek universe right and um it, it was just one of the very first series on television which i know this is going to sound really weird brought a certain kind of diversity yep. Uh, in these metaphors, these characters that were metaphors for other groups and uh, all the groups, really, that we um, have here and around the world. So it was very interesting. And, and I think the message that Star Trek really brought to the fore was, you know, it all works when we bring the love to it, right? That's really why this is so iconic because how can you not wish this for everybody right so so that's my answer 
That is a very great answer. And uh, I just want to you. thank you again, Bertillo, for being able to chat with us. I know you were a little hesitant to like do this kind of long form interview, especially, but like I, I honestly am very grateful that you're willing to tell the story, share your story, because number one, IMDb has a lot of mess ups, so I'm glad we're correcting those. And number two, I mean, your story should be told. So thank you for letting us be a part of that. Thank you so much, Matthew. See you around and live long and prosper, baby. That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.